Amen. Amen. All right, everybody, let's go to Romans 5. We're going to talk a little bit about the last Adam today, which, surprise, is Jesus. <laughs> I got that easy job, right? <clears throat> All right, Romans 5, verse 12. I do, I do want to say this at the end of us teaching, Sophie, if you can um, hop on the keys and sing that song that the Lord's put on your heart about his story and his family to send us out and we'll go, we'll go out that way into our week that way. Yes. All right, everybody in Romans 5? Yes. Everybody in Romans 5 besides Jay? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. All right. Romans 5. Um, Romans 5 verse, verse 12 therefore just as through one man sin, en- sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sin for until the law sin was in the world but sin is an imputed where there is no law nevertheless death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam who is a type of him who was to come but the free gift is not like the offense praise God I don't know if you guys smile when you read the scriptures, but sometimes my face hurts after reading them because that's good stuff. I don't know if you're too serious when you're reading the scriptures, but like what we're reading, the whole thing, even the weird stuff, the stuff that makes no sense to you, it's pointing to him. Praise God you're not a Levitical priest who's got no idea who it's pointing to. You're a son or daughter of God who knows what everything we're reading reading about is pointing to. It's good stuff, right? Especially when I have no idea how that could have anything to do with Jesus. That makes me smile even more because I'm like, man, I don't know everything. Praise God. All right. Verse 15, but the uh, free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. Uh, fancy words there that like we don't use very often in terms of like justification. Like nobody goes around saying like, you know, I'm I'm justified today. Like it's just not like a natural word. Word, but the more natural word in our culture is innocent. To talk about being innocent, to talk about having your innocence restored, that's, what that, that's like the essence of what that word justification means. It means made innocent again, made pure again, made washed white as snow again. Um, verse 17, for if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. That's that old nature. We were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, the man Jesus, many will be made righteous. Read it again, just in case you wanted to smile this time. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Tejun, that's a good smile, dog. First Corinthians 15. Let's flip there. That's a slight right in your B-blaze. First Corinthians 15. Blake, I got you, my dog. You think I'll ever stop saying that, Blake? I should give you a shout out every time I give a direction. We'll be like 50 and 60 years old. I'll be like, Blake, I got you, dog. Unless you're somewhere across the world preaching the gospel, which is very high likely. High likelihood. High likely. Yes, I know. I, you guys give me some grace there. I corrected myself. Like, high likely, how dare you make a grammatical mistake? <laughs> Sophie about stabbed me with her words right there. Old grammar police over here. <laughs> I'm not going to lie when people send me text messages with all kinds of grammar mistakes I'm like did you not read before you sent this sorry yeah. what oh 1 Corinthians 15 21 1 Corinthians 15 21 1 Corinthians 15 actually just 20 but now Christ is risen from the dead hallelujah not just on Easter 
got to say it, right? He's risen from the dead. Listen, he has risen from the dead. All jokes aside, the man Jesus has risen from the dead. He's alive. We're not singing to dead gods, distant gods. We're talking about the God of the universe who even if, my, if, even if I made my bed in Sheol, like I tried to get away from him, like I did for 21 years of my life, he'd be like, I'm going to still come find you. What I had to do with that is up to me, but he's still going to come find me. He's still going to chase me down. Some of us know people. Logan and I were just talking about this when we were washing our hands in the bathroom. Um, about a friend. <laughs> Take the gospel everywhere, right? <laughs> talking about a friend. It's like, well, is that true of this friend who wants nothing to do with Jesus right now? It's like, absolutely. That, his friend of his. You know, Sheol is not necessarily a place we go to after we die. It's like the darkness that rests on the earth where the presence of God has not yet been let in. It's not that the presence of God is not there. It's that the presence of God, because he's so patient, so kind, so loving, has just not been let in. Still true. I could make my bed in Sheol, my resting place in Sheol, and you'll still find me. It's amazing. He's alive. Amen? He's alive. Some of y'all, I know uh, when I say that, that sounds like ideas and con- like concepts, and that's only because the Holy Ghost hasn't made its like, way deep into your heart, and that could change right now today. Some of you guys need to receive the Holy Spirit. You've lived a lot in ideas, a lot of, uh, and you've sincerely followed Jesus. feel like this is just present for some of us in the room. You've sincerely tried to and have followed Jesus for some time now. And um, if you haven't already today while we were worshiping, I believe you're going to receive the Holy Spirit today in full measure. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I love how in Paul's letters, he just refused to say died. He would just be like, yeah, they fell asleep. <laughs> Y'all are like, wait, what? Man had such a revelation of the glory of Jesus that he was just convinced that no one is ever going to die who is in faith in him. That they have been so delivered because that's the truth of the gospel. According to Jesus himself is that those who eat of me will never die. So he either said that or he didn't. And he did. 21. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in its order, Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. At his coming. Skip on down to verse uh, da, 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 45. He goes off on a little tangent that we just don't quite have the time to get into today and it's not necessary to today in between verses 23 and 45 talks about being baptized and the enemies and the principalities of the air and all kinds of bodies verse 45 and so it is written the first man adam became a living being paul's quoting genesis 2 7 there that means the first adam was a soulish like an earthly being the last adam became a life-giving spirit (laughs) However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of the dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. Listen to verse 49. As we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Come on, let's go to John 3 and let's hear what Jesus had to say about being born again because it's so essential to what we want to talk about today. First Adam, last Adam. The covenant God made with Adam was that Adam in Genesis 1. As you're flipping to John 3, I just want to give a little brief recap of the Adamic covenant. God makes a covenant with Adam in Genesis 1. He says, you're going to represent me, basically. I made you in my image. Multiply, have dominion. Be just like me in all the earth. They do a poor job of that. Such a poor job. Uh, that they inherit death. They go from living in life to going under death. The whole thing's ruined at that point. They come under a different ruler. Okay? So humanity, we all are of the seed of Adam, Adam. We have inherited death. A good picture for what this looks like to kind of let that be like a little bit more um, our old self inherited death. Not me any longer. Some of you maybe. But um, a good picture of this is did Pierce do anything to be American? My son's Pierce, by the way. My son is Pierce. He's 19 months old. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, Pierce? Cool. Um, did Pierce do anything? Did he earn his right to being an American? 
The answer is no. He came out just wanting food and crying. But he is an American. Why? Because he was born in America and his parents are citizens of America. We're just, that's where we are. The spiritual equivalent. Now, this is where we have to like understand and the Holy Spirit has to give us some spiritual like eyes to see this. What the scriptures teach us is that Adam, the federal head, the head of all creation, the one by which everything came, he is the one that brought us into the land of death, so to speak. So if death and the realm of sin was a land, Adam immigrated, like just left his home country of life and heaven left that and chose to get under a different ruler. It would be as if before my next child's born, we go move somewhere else because we just don't like America for whatever reason and decide to complain about go somewhere else. And then we become a citizen there. And then that our like child inherits that citizenship again, inherits that citizenship. So as a fallen creature, I was meant to represent God, but my forefathers, what I inherited was a fallen state. And so I served unknowingly the ruler of sin, which was death, like we just read in Romans 5. And so it just pervaded over me to the point to where I became so convinced that we're all just going to die because, I mean, logically, that makes sense, right? Okay, so Jesus is this prophesied Messiah that comes along to not only be the image of God, but to be the firstborn over a new creation. The way Paul describes it in Colossians 1 verse 15 is he is the image of the invisible God. He, now listen and hear this slowly when I say that again. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. What does that mean? What that means is that he came to restart humanity which is good news. Otherwise, we would have been stuck in death and sin. Yeah. Of our own choosing, of our four, like we would have inherited. And I don't need to go into the, the spell of Exodus 19, Exodus 20. The, the commandments, the purpose of them was to reveal that we were serving the ruler of death and sin. That we couldn't keep those commands because our heart and our mind was so alienated from God, so darkened, so under the curse that our forefathers brought us into, that Adam brought us into, that we didn't even want to have anything to do with God. And in his mercy, he sent what was most precious to him, his son, to restart or renew creation, all of it. That's why, again, in Colossians 1.15, by the way, this week, everybody hear me clearly when I say this in your house churches. This week, house church leaders, let's, let's memorize one simple verse. Colossians 1.15. Just take it to heart. 1.15. Colossians 1.15. But he is the firstborn over all creation. All new creation. So John 3. Go there with me if you don't mind. Jesus starts to talk about this rebirth or this regeneration. A couple of different words depending on a translation and different ways we want to talk about it. That he came to, to bring about a rebirth or a regeneration or a renewal. All of those things get to the heart of what he did in the Noahic covenant and foreshadowed in the Noahic covenant where he doesn't want to eliminate humanity in his mercy. He wants to restart and renew, huma- renew humanity even though they have rebelled against him. And it's meant to see, like show us just so clearly how unbelievably tender and merciful and patient he is. It is meant to remind us that we were the ones who rebelled against him. All right, John 3, Jesus is on the scene now here and he's starting to, uh, in the first two chapters, he uh, starts calling some disciples, does a miracle, even though he didn't want to, but his mom asked him to. (laughs) John 2 is funny. His mom's like, can you please do a miracle finally? He's like, "Uh, not yet. And then there's like, it doesn't say anything in the text. It's just like the next thing you know, he's doing a miracle. I guess he just was like, I guess so, mom. Pretty funny. Some of y'all didn't know the Bible could be this fun. John 3, there's this ruler, uh, uh, a, Pharise- a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who's super interested in Jesus. Super, uh, I looked up and Parker was asking for gum. I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but it just made me laugh. Because Parker was asking for gum from Sophie by motioning with her mouth. <laughs> I think that's what she was doing. Okay, awesome. It just distracted me. I don't really get distracted often, but that got me good. Um, 
can deal with like babies crying and wailing and everything, but Parker going <laughs> straight in my lines. Like, I'm sorry. You're the worst person for that to happen to because that's like, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Wasn't trying to embarrass you. All right, John 3. Finally, I'll get there. I promise. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, <laughs> a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. In other words, we're like, there's something special about you. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He just like skips through the like praise. He's like, oh, cool. Thanks. Unless one's born again, can't be, can't see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, rightfully so. Come on, we would ask this question as well. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus, in these next couple of words, starts to unpack the reality that there is a spiritual reality that needs to be addressed before the physical reality. And the spiritual reality is the real problem that feeds the physical reality of death and sin and decay. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Uh, You're you're here physically in the flesh because you were born of the flesh. Every one of you. It's a fact. (laughs) It's like born of the flesh. Can't argue with it. If if you wanted to, we go find the hospital records. You know, you're born of the flesh. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that's true. But listen, and this is the words that Paul, we just read in 1 Corinthians 15. This is where they come from. Is that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus is just dumbfounded. And he answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we, Father, Son, and Spirit, speak what we, Father, Son, and Spirit, know and testify what we, Father, Son, and Spirit, have seen. And you do not receive our witness. Come on, he's in the room right now witnessing to the fact that you must be born again. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. That is the son of man who is in heaven. Now notice, you know how we talk about Jesus is heaven and it's here right now. Just want you to see where in the scriptures that is. Listen to what we just read again. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. That is the son of man who is in heaven. Not who goes back to heaven necessarily, but who's in heaven. It means he carries heaven everywhere he goes. He's saying to Nicodemus and he's announcing to Nicodemus, no, heaven is here. I'm in heaven and I'm talking to you right now. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) Right over Nicodemus' head, guaranteed for sure. But hopefully his spirit became alive to this. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the son of man must be lifted up. I love how often Jesus alluded to the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, the scriptures, the Tanakh, the law and the prophets. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, that word believe uh, is pisteo. It means to trust in him. Believe kind of doesn't get to the heart, really, of what that word really means. Trust is a lot different than just believing like a fairy tale. Trust is like I put my full reliance in someone or something. And that's what it means to believe in him. Believe doesn't mean I like take what somebody says about him to be true. It means that I put my trust in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Sozo, that means healed, set free, kept safe and sound, preserved. A couple of other things. He who believes in him is not condemned. Listen to this. But he who does not believe is condemned already. It does good to keep reading the scriptures, you know, not to come to our own conclusions and cut it off. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. 
And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Come on, let's read that again. Let's let let the Spirit just sober us up. (laughs) This is what He's freed us from. This is what the Holy Spirit, for those of us who have our trust put in the man Jesus, this is what the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes to when we were groping around in the dark looking for hope to no avail. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Praise God. Some of your deeds (laughs) are being exposed by the light of God and that is only good. I promise you. Some of you feel as exposed as you've ever felt in this season of life by the family of God and by the people of God, but more importantly, by the presence of God. And the temptation is to shrink back like Adam did in the garden and be like, oh, I'm naked. Oh, my gosh, I got to cover myself. But the reality of the gospel is that now we can come to him freely and approach the throne of grace freely and find help in time of need. It's good, right? The longer I follow him, the more I realize more... (laughs) Gosh, I'm like walking around yesterday just being sarcastic with Baker about things that she needs in the house. And it's like, you know, not too big of a deal, but it exposed a little bit of darkness in my heart that doesn't want to serve my wife on a Saturday where I want to rest and watch a hockey game. Silly, silly thing, right? But it's like, oh, man, didn't know that was there. And I could shrink back in that time and be like, well, I'm not condemned. I'm not condemned. I'm not condemned. I'm not condemned. Oh my gosh, I feel condemned. And it's like, okay, what, what does that even mean in this moment? What if we just approach the throne of grace, say, I'm sorry, Baker. And then, you know, try a little bit better next time. Sit down with the Lord and be like, Lord, why do I have to be sarcastic when I feel uncomfortable? And he's like, well, you know, maybe I could just make you a little bit more secure. I don't know. There's all kinds of things, all kinds of times when like things like rise up in my heart. And instead of shrinking back, believing the lie that I'm still in condemnation, I have a man, a high priest who has made a way into the Holy of Holies back to my father. And my father is the only one who can help me, the only one who can correct me, the only one who wants to do so. And why would I continue to live like an orphan when I have access to the father? Why would I go and try to protect or like correct myself and perform and get better on my own when I can go right into the throne of grace and find help? Some of you have some more like what seems like drastic things getting exposed things like spirits of suicide over your life that have been over your life for for some time now sexual perversion that's rested over your mind for some time and it's getting brought to the light because the holy spirit loves you and he's getting brought to light in like simple things like him bringing it to you in the secret place or the lord giving words to other people and them sharing that with you a couple of, i think that you know some of you got a phone call this week from from somebody who got a word about something in your life. It's like, this is how beautiful. First Corinthians, some of you are like, oh my gosh, that really happens. <laughs> yes, for your good. You know, I, I could make some space right now. And I, you know, I think this would be good on your, on your house, in your house churches on Wednesday to make some space to testify to the power and the goodness, the, only the good things that have come to somebody calling things out in your life. And when I say call out, I don't mean, hey, What are you doing, you idiot? I mean, hey, are you struggling with this? Let's bring it to the light and let the blood of Jesus wash over it and let's really get free. This is good stuff. And I just, I like with all the like, with all the joy in my heart because, and I can say this confidently because I know that freedom is on the other end of this invitation. With all the joy in my heart, the more you pursue Jesus in this house, the more you get closer to the fire of God, it is going to expose things in you. And so that is not a warning as much as it is an invitation. Because I believe you want to be free. This like uh, idol of sexuality that manifests itself in like sexual perversion and homosexuality and all kinds of different ways of you trying to figure that out on your own is going to get exposed the longer you get closer to the light. And it's for your good so that you can be free. Struggles of all kinds. Isn't this good though? It's the light of man has come into the world. He now rests in his people, his temple, his church through the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit kind of rests in individuals like flames. Like if we had a picture, if your eyes were open spiritually, you could see flames resting in those that are His in this room. And that light, just like any other light, brings to light things that are in the dark. And you're like, oh, didn't know that was there. And what happens is now we get to approach the throne of grace. The picture would be Pierce can't clean up his playroom right now. I do it every night. He wakes up to a clean playroom the next night. He just trusts me. 
That's the picture is that you would just allow things to be brought in the light and you wouldn't try to keep your father from that room. Imagine the ridiculousness of Pierce like trying to block me off from that room, right? It would be kind of cute and funny, but like, it'd be like silly. It's like, just let me help you out, man. We're just going to clean this up you know, so you can have a good time tomorrow. This is what it looks like for those things to get exposed in your life. And what those things are are not subjective matters. It's what the word calls darkness. It's not what I believe to be darkness. It's not what I think is darkness. It's not what culture thinks is darkness. It's what the word does. Hebrews 4 talks about how the word divides through soul and spirit. Divides through soul and spirit. What does that mean? That means that the soul is the earthly, the carnal, the things of the word. World, not the word. Important to clarify that one. Um, it divides between the soul and spirit. So when I, I, I need this word so much to help me understand, to help me know, to teach me, to be a lamp unto my feet of what is of the old man and this realm of darkness and death. And that's freeing that I don't have to project my own opinions on things anymore. I can be a kid again and let him tell me exactly how he's created me to live. It doesn't matter how successful this old man was. If it's not in line with the new man, Jesus Christ, it's not of him and it can be cast away. And again, the longer you pursue the Lord in his family, in his body, in his church, that is truly, which we are truly hosting his presence. I promise you things will be exposed or you'll just kind of like, you know, slowly make your way out. And we'll try to keep you around as best we can. But that's something you got to address with yourself there. Nobody can follow him for you. And you do have a choice when those things get brought to the light. And I just want to encourage you as those things get brought to the light to approach the throne of grace with confidence because he loves you. Um, first Peter, let's just read first Peter one. He talks about being born again, too. And I just love getting our eyes on the scripture. I just want to make a few more points after this about the, the last Adam. First Peter one. First Peter one, verse um, three through five. Let's add this to the little memorization list or meditation list. Colossians 1 15. Memorize kind of makes some people feel funky. So meditate sounds cooler, you know, more spiritual. <laughs> Meditate's great too. I'm just kind of messing around. Thanks, Scotty. <laughs> First Peter one, verse three, verse three, first Peter one, I'm mixing myself up here. First Peter one, three through five. Listen to what Peter has to say about this uh, reality of being born again. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That just makes me smile. I want to highlight three differences in natures. Um, Go back to 1 Corinthians 15 with me. It's a slight left, Blake. 1 Corinthians right before 2 Corinthians. Yeah. Do you like that joke? First Corinthians 15 verse 46, or I'm sorry, 45. Come on, let the let the word highlight some some differences here. These differences in natures uh, are massive to understanding and receiving who we are as a, as a new creation, as a son or daughter of God born again. Verse 45, uh, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. Adam was a living being. Jesus, a life-giving spirit. This is John 11, you know, when Jesus talks about, I am the resurrection and the life. He is the one who gives life. He references the bread from heaven. Uh, if you read the Old Testament, the manna that came down from heaven, that word manna literally means what? 
which I think is, yeah, I think it's crazy. They were literally in the wilderness and they needed food. God rained down manna from heaven. And the only way they knew how to name it was to say, what? And they're like holding it like, what? And that's what manna is, is what? It's like this wonder, wow. Jesus comes along. That's like a, you know, ingrained in Israelite culture of manna from heaven, like so special. God did that, this sign and wonder. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm the actual manna from heaven. The what? You know, it's awesome. So he's a life giving spirit. And in the same way that that bread gave them sustenance. You know, this is John six a little bit. This is what we're doing when we take communion. When, when, whenever we take communion, by the way, we won't take communion today, but moving forward, uh, this is no, no shame to anybody because I've scarfed down the bread before too here. But when we take communion in a gathering, I just want you to, with me, like honor that bread. This might feel a little bit trivial to you and uh, legalistic or whatever. Um, but when we have bread, and I hope no one's just slamming the wine right after the service, but you know, when we have the bread and the wine, it's not for, it's not for just uh, like consumption for like physical hunger. And so I want you to abstain from whenever we take communion, from treating it as such and to honor it as the body of the Lord. And I know, again, you know, the first time the Lord put that on my heart, I was like, come on, it's just bread. He's like, if you want it to be just bread. So uh, Adam was a living being. Jesus is a life giving being, a life giving spirit. More specifically, he is the bread from heaven that our spirit needs to revive. Ezekiel 37 Anybody heard about the Valley of Dry Bones before? Song or two about it. I'm sure there's some cool Sunday song, Sunday school song about it. Maybe not. Been experienced that. So sorry if I just outed myself there. But that that like picture in Ezekiel 37 is the picture of what happens to like our spirit after we were brought under the realm of death. Our spirit was dead. To be dead in the spiritual realm means unresponsive to God. It doesn't mean that physically I'm dead yet. It means that spiritually I am unresponsive to God and I am subject to decay. And one day I will forever die and cease to exist. But God sent the son to be a life giving spirit to resurrect my spiritual self. And that will one day resurrect my physical self as well. Seriously, it's amazing. It's the rest of 1 Corinthians 15 if you want to have some fun with it later on. Second difference in nature. Adam was natural and Jesus is spiritual. This again is John 5. For as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the son gives life to, the, to whom he will. That's verse 46 right there in 1 Corinthians 15. The last difference in nature was that Adam was of the earth and Jesus is of the heavens. That's verse 47 right there. The first man was of the earth made of the dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. This is again for the bread of God, John 6. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I just want to like pose a bit of a question to you that's been so refreshing for me and is continually like convicting to me is do I have more faith in Adam or Jesus? You're like, oh, Jesus, for sure. It's like, well, let's think about that. No, no, no. I seriously have more faith in Jesus. And it's like, are you more convinced of everything that came from Adam and everything you inherited from Adam? Or are you more convinced of everything you inherited from Christ? Fellowship with God from Christ? Healing for your body from Christ? It's just what the word says, right? Restoration of your soul from Christ. Are you convinced of that? Or are we more convinced? Now the process from here is like, and the whole journey of salvation from here, the whole working out of our salvation is our mind being renewed in the spirit of truth. What does that mean? That means that I get so, my mind gets so renewed by the word and the image of Jesus that I am more convinced of who he is and what he's done and how that is now my inheritance than what Adam did and how that was my inheritance. My mind is renewed from one realm to the other by the word of God, the presence of God. Two differences here in the consequences, and I think it's important to like clarify these is Adam brought death. Jesus brings life. Adam brought judgment, condemnation. Jesus brings justification. Some of us like maybe are a little bit tempted to uh, believe that condemnation is like this thing that happens when people treat you badly. 
Condemnation was what we were like under. Shame is what, what we were under prior to Christ entering, the light of God entering our hearts. But as soon as I was liberated from death, I cannot be condemned. To the point, what, that, what does that mean? That means that I am so liberated, according to the image of Jesus, following his example, I am so liberated from condemnation that somebody could literally be condemning me to death and I'm still free. That's, that's real freedom. Freedom is not, I'm, I feel free at six o'clock in the morning when I'm ministering to the Lord and he's ministering to me, but then I get out of there and I get on my phone and something like subtweets me and now I feel condemned. It's, it's like, what? It doesn't have that power if you're free. Somebody could be tweeting you and not subtweeting you and talking directly to you and you're free. I don't know if that's how it works in the tweet verse, but that's the thing. You know what I mean? It's like, I, you guys see what I'm saying, right? This is what he's, this is, this is what's on tap for us. And this is what, this is what we all crave is to be so free from the realm of death and condemnation that somebody could be literally intentionally trying to hurt us and we're free and we could bless them. <laughs> Isn't this what he did? <laughs> good I'm glad you guys are saying yes let him like get inside of you and let that life flow from you this is exactly what he did he was so free of condemnation because he knew no shame because he knew his father that people literally accused him of having a demon being a glutton being a drunkard and just being pure evil to the point that remember they crucified him, but he was free. Now, just to, <laughs> I, this is not like metaphor. This is too, like some of us won't ever get to face physical persecution. And I'm saying get to face it because if we get to face physical pure persecution for the name of Jesus, there is ne- almost no greater honor. You don't get weird about it and pray for it. That's not what he desires. But like the, the, like the reality is to the point, this is, like, this is how real the gospel is, that if somehow, some way, we were facing persecution like most of the rest of the world of Christians do, by the way. <laughs> so you got to get your head up a little bit. You want to know, if we did this in China right now, what would happen to all of us? Not good things. Yep. Right? <laughs> how... how I want to have such a true, authentic, simple faith in Christ that literally I know no shame, no condemnation to the point where somebody could be sentencing me to condemnation for living in the light of the gospel. And I just willingly accept it. This is what he did. Adam brought death. Jesus brings life. Adam brought judgment. Jesus brings justification. This is Romans 5 through 18. You're welcome to go read it a little bit later. Flip with me to Mark 14, and I want us to see where Jesus once and for all reversed what Adam introduced to all mankind in the garden. You guys remember the garden, right? Adam and Eve in the garden? Yep. <clears throat> I think our mom live stream cut off there. No. <laughs> um, Mark 14, Mark 14, verse 32. There's foreshadowing in the gospel, by the way, in Genesis 3. Who ate of the tree first? It was Eve. But whose sin was it? Adam. How is that foreshadowing of the gospel? Is Christ taking, it, taking sin for us? It's beautiful. It's amazing. We'll go back one day. We did this a while back. We'll go back one day and just preach the gospel from Genesis 2 and 3. It's amazing. There's sacrifice there. There's atonement there. There's bridegroom and bride. It's amazing. It's fantastic. Uh, Genesis 3.17, by the way, like says, Adam literally says, uh, the woman took of the, the tree and I ate, taking ownership of it. The garden is where this thing went wrong, where humanity came under a different ruler, left the promise of life, came under a different ruler. The law is witness to the fact that we are under a different ruler. It's like, you know, if like somebody's so deceived, they don't even know. This is a terrible metaphor, okay? But like it will help. Just kind of precurse it with this because it will break down at some point. But have, 
I, I like the first thing I think of with, with somebody being so deceived and they don't know it is when like your friends dating someone that you know isn't great for them and everybody else sees it but they don't see it and then somewhere like down the road they finally see it like yeah that just wasn't great I don't know what I was thinking deception was rooted that's kind of like the the purpose of the law was to like wake somebody up to like no 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 like seriously you're like so deceived you don't even know you're deceived Come on. I know that metaphor, but you get what I'm saying. Like, like there was a level of deception to the death that we came under that we needed help seeing that we were under death. And that's what the law was. The law was like, no, seriously, you guys can't even honor your father and mother. You can't even like not make golden calves as gods. How weird is that? It's like you guys are really not in good shape. Like, no, 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 we're fine. Okay, you're continuing to ruin the earth. Please pay attention to my law. Finally. We start paying attention to the law through the word. Jesus then comes along again in this like narrative of the gospel. He comes to the end of it, almost the end of it. And he finds himself in a garden again. And he's trying to like bring into fruition a new creation. Let's read this together. Mark 14, verse 32. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, which means oil press, by the way. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Some of this is so comical and crazy. He took Peter, James, and John with him and he began to be troubled. This is not comical. Troubled and deeply distressed. What's comical is the disciples just not being able to pay attention. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. What happened in the garden in Genesis 2 and 3 was that Adam was given a mandate. Adam was given a condition. Adam was given a work, a way to be faithful to God. And Adam failed that. That way he failed was eating of the wrong tree. And so what you see here is Jesus like expressing his human nature. He's the son of God, fully man, but he's also fully, he's fully God, fully man. He's expressing his human nature and he's saying, listen, I really don't want to do this because this is going to hurt. But I'm so yielded to you, Father, that whatever that word will is dilemma. It means desire. Will is kind of like when we think of will, we immediately think of like financial will. And that's, again, not really getting to the point of what that word is. Not your will, not my will, but your will. That means not my desire, but your desire, Father. Jesus right here so perfectly submitted to the Father in the way that Adam wasn't. Adam was about his desire drove him to eat of the tree. His desire was not the Lord's desire. It wasn't submitted to the Father. Which, keep in mind, being submitted to the Father is exactly where we not only want to be, but the safest place to be. Unfortunately, we've all learned that the hard way through sin, right? Verse 36, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not, that, not what I will, but what you will. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. It says that he found, came and found him sleeping again. And he kind of scolded and rebuked Peter a little bit. And then they did it again the third time in verse 41. And he just lets them know, all right, the time is at hand. My betrayer is at hand. Um, go with me to Ephesians 4, verse 17. <clears throat> we're going to talk about putting on the new man. And then we're going to sing and receive the new man again afresh and just be on our way to live as new creations. If you're not new and the Holy Spirit is convicting you of sin right now, you need to be born again, put your faith in Jesus and be baptized in water. If you haven't been baptized again, the old is still present. Very plainly put, I love how simple the scriptures are, how clear the scriptures are. Romans 6, very clearly, we are to be baptized into a death like his so that we can be raised into newness of life. The only way we actually access this newness of life that is on offer to us through faith in the Lord Jesus is through lowering under the water, just like he did, by the way. Set an example for us in this. Getting under the water, that is symbolic of your old self. That is you confessing that there is an old self. That is you agreeing with the conviction of the Holy Spirit, saying that the old self, dead and gone, buried with Christ, I've died with Christ, and I want to be raised to life in him. So if you need to be born again, you confess Jesus as Lord with your mouth at any moment here. And then we're getting, we can go get baptized this afternoon immediately, to be honest. Ephesians 4, verse 17. And this is the new man. This is what's available to us. Before I read this, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, it says, 
we read this earlier, um, as we bore the image of the man of dust, we shall surely, or in other translations, it says, let us bear the image of the heavenly. That bear the image means to put on like a garment. This is where it gets good and some effort is involved. Okay. Um, the picture, like nobody this morning got here. Maybe you did. This is going to be really funny if you did. Um, and I'll be super concerned if this was you when you got here this morning. But nobody got here this morning and they were like, gosh, you know, somebody asked you how you're doing. You're like, I'm, I'm, I'm great. But this morning, I'm, I'm like worn out from putting my T-shirt on. It, just really, it really got me. Oh, somebody maybe did that before. If you did, you probably had a hurt shoulder or something. I don't know. But nobody was like, finally, I'm here. I had to put my clothes on. It was, it was difficult. Okay. Did it take effort to put your clothes on? Yeah. A little bit. Even if you got dressed by someone, you still had to like stand there and be dressed by someone. Took effort. Okay. Why am I talking about this? Because this is the picture of the new man. Some of us like stay so in the clouds with things that we don't understand that the life in the spirit is a life of partnership with the spirit. And he is so patient and kind and so gentle that he doesn't want to do a thing for you. He wants to do everything with you because the father's heart is fellowship. He doesn't want to do things for you wholeheartedly. He wants to do them with you. And so when we talk about putting on the new man, we have to be like raised to life. There is a miracle that needs to happen in our hearts where the revelation of Jesus raises us to life. But then there is a participation that testifies of whether or not our our confession is true or not, sincere or not. And that is real. And so putting on the new man is working out my salvation with fear and trembling. This jargon about I was saved in the sixth grade, but I lived nothing like Christ for the rest of my life. You weren't saved at that point. You made a good confession, but it's time to wake up. According to this, I'm like literally quoting scripture. right now. It's like to wake up because salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And so there's part of this that is sobering. When Paul sent his letters, if you go read every one of Paul's letters, Galatians, Colossians, some of you don't know which ones those are, and that's okay. But if you go read all of his letters, there's like half, like split down the half, almost all of them, with like, like just declaring this unbelievable glory of who Jesus is and what he's done, and now what we are to do in response to that glory of Jesus. And it's almost yeah. always something along the lines of like, put on this new man. So we get to Ephesians 4 and 1 through 3 is like, look how good he is. He's amazing. He forgave us. He freed us. We were dead. We were so dead. We were dead. We were so dead. He literally just says it over and over and over again. And then it gets into verse 4 and he says, therefore, holy and beloved people of God, put on tender mercies. Like, well, I just want to sit here and let God love me. It's like, what do you mean? Like, put, like, put that love on. Let's participate. Let's, Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. He is the firstborn, meaning the one we were now created. He is the prototype we were all created in the spirit to be like. It's like, well, I don't really see that in my life right now physically. It's because you're focusing on your life and not his life. And the purpose of me getting focused on his life is as I behold him, I become just like him. Yeah. The purpose of the word is as I behold him, I become just like him. Just like him. Listen to verse 17 of Ephesians 4. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk. That word walk is behave. It's like, well, I thought I wasn't saved by works. Exactly. You weren't saved by works. Praise God. Your behavior did not deter him away from you. Hallelujah. Your making your bed in Sheol did not deter, deter him away from you. Now, if I actually receive that, it will transform me. And I will have an appetite. I, when I'm freed from being a slave and made a son, I have an appetite for holiness. I'm regenerated. And I was once, I, I, I was of darkness and I had an appetite for darkness. I had a leniency or a tendency towards darkness. But what happened in the spiritual realm by faith through grace and only that recreated my spirit. And I was given a new heart and a new mind that is the mind of Christ. And I promise you, he desires nothing but holiness. And so when I just keep receiving that, keep beholding that, it's like this life, like he said, that flows up from the inside of me and flows out of me. 
It's not outside in, it's inside out. This is why he said, out of them, those that believe in me will flow rivers of living water. But this is so convicting because it really clarifies whether or not I believe him. Remember, believe is not just believing stories about him. It's full trust, full reliance in the man Jesus and what he's done for me. Has he paid my debt? Yes, absolutely. And I trust that. Has he given himself to me? Yes, absolutely. And I trust that. And as I believe in that and make a practice of believing that, his life flows from me so that why I live in stuff like this, this instruction, this good instruction, this is what I want. I want the Holy Spirit to teach me how to walk like Jesus. I need, you need, we need the Holy Spirit to teach us how to walk like Jesus. And listen to this. This is how we do it. No longer walk as the rest of the nations walk. That's what Gentiles means. The rest of the world walk. In futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. My oh my, that was me. I was so ignorant of the truth. I was alienated from life and he saved me. The Holy Spirit shone in my heart through the preaching of the gospel and I was brought back. I was reconciled so that I would be saved. Reconciliation was the equivalent of getting freed from slavery in Egypt. Being saved is actually believing him to bring me into the promised land. Do you know that in the Old Testament, a bunch of people died in the wilderness, but they were freed from Egypt. Hebrews uses that as the example of like, you do not just get reconciled. There is no such thing as just getting reconciled and then coasting into the promised land. There is getting reconciled and working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Sounds a little bit different than, hey, believe this, get to heaven, now live however you want, right? That's no gospel at all, and there's a curse on that. Verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you've not so learned, Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him. I love that. See that personal language there? Do you see that personal language there? Taught by him. You, me, priesthood, every one of us, royal priesthood, every one of us. That means if you're living off of what I teach you, it's going to be a rough road for you. If you're living off of somebody else's flame, it ain't going to last. You got to get a flame of your own. And this is meant to stoke the flame. Everything we do in the body of Christ is to stoke the flame. But you need your own flame. What's happening right now in so many of our hearts is there are things being removed in our life. There are relationships being removed in our life for your good so that your flame can be stoked if you want it to be stoked. It's not a guarantee. It's if you get close enough to the presence of God. If you seek him, you will find him. But it's an if you seek him. We're finding out what we really want. And I believe all of us want Jesus and have agreed with that and want to agree with that. But listen again. But you've not so learned Christ if indeed you've heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. The truth is not a collection of ideas. It's a man. He is the way, the truth and the life. Verse 22, come on, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Amazing. James talks about this as a mirror, the perfect law of liberty, beholding it and then doing it. He says no man looks in a mirror And then goes away unchanged. It's meant to like you behold this man, Jesus, this new man. He is who you were created. When it says the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. It is as if I am always having access to behold who he is. And as I behold him, I begin to reflect him. It changes me. It transforms me. Go with me to Colossians 3. Just another example here. And then we're going to sing and let the spirit just open our eyes. Colossians 3, 1 through 17, along with that little meditation list. I won't give this every week. Don't rely on me every week for this house churches. <laughs> I don't want to put myself here, but I just think it's, it's such a simple, simple message and teaching and simple things to like live in and ways to practice. But Colossians 1 through 3, sorry, Colossians 3, 1 through 17, such simple things to start to like work through together. And when I say work through together, I mean, just like meditate on it, talk about it, like get some wonder about it. Be like, oh, my gosh, this is exactly how I want to live. And then rejoice because you can by way of the Holy Spirit. One through 17. I'm sorry. I think it's one through 17. One through 17. Yeah. Colossians three. Let's uh, let's just read this together. And then, Sophie, you can go ahead and start playing and we'll just sing. Um, 
if you don't mind. If then you were raised with Christ, you see that language there, if you were raised with Christ, that literally means baptism. He's not like making metaphor there. He's saying like, if you were raised with Christ. If, if you've made a confession with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you are to get in water, understanding it or not, get in water and let the old man truly be put to bed. That confession becomes real. You're raised with Christ. Listen to what happens. Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. This is how our mind is renewed. It takes effort and participation. It takes sitting down with him before your day begins. Setting your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, little side note here. I'm so excited about everybody in our house, everybody who calls river home, uh, which is what house churches are for. Basically is like you like calling river, your home or your, the, the home by which you want to partake of in the body of Christ. I'm so excited about our family getting free from financial debt. And I'm so excited about the uncomfortability of talking about that. <laughs> and I, I don't like to just stir the pot. Obviously, that would be kind of odd if I just like to stir the pot. The heart is that we're to be for, free from every, uh, every single yoke. The head and not the tail. And I'm excited about how we're going to live that out, actually live that out. And that's not going to be like a feeling in a prayer set, but something we live out because we've been liberated from every form of debt. You guys excited about that? How many of y'all talked about that this week in your house? Did anybody talk about that this week in their house church? The financial, or did I just throw a, y'all did? Okay, cool. (laughs) I didn't know if I just, you know, gave y'all the news. (laughs) It's going to be fun. By the way, again, you know, we talk about like uh, the sin of greed, which is what, (laughs) what most debt, not all, but most debt is rooted in and other things. Why not be so, why not be as joyful about that getting brought to the light as somebody who's been abused sexually bringing that to the light? Both of those things. Now, this is where like the the preaching of the word really confront what we believe about it. Both of those things have a wreak havoc on the mind, if not free from. How does debt, how does financial debt wreak havoc on our mind? Because you're conscious of that debt more than you are of him. And so he runs your, the debt runs your life instead of him. You wake up thinking about, I got to make money. I got to make money. I got to make money. I got to owe this person money. I owe this part. No, you don't. You don't owe a single person any bit. But you got, we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay. <laughs> Please don't take what I just said. I don't have to pay my debt. No, no, no. We're going to get free from debt. And we're not going to live a life of a slave where we are in debt to anyone. This is going to be quite countercultural. So giddy up. All right. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. I see him removing sarcasm. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Come on. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Remember, he's a life-giving spirit. He creates us, recreates us. And in this kingdom, there is neither Greek or Jew. Race doesn't matter. Circumcised or uncircumcised. Heritage and legacy doesn't matter. You could come from a great family, poor family, anything in between. Sounds good. Scythian or barbarian, that means like thug or not thug. Don't matter. Slave or free, it basically means you got a business or you don't. Doesn't matter. But Christ is all and in all, meaning the playing field is level for every single one of us. Therefore, as the elect of God, the ones chosen by God, how do I know I'm chosen by God? Because you've had the gospel preached to you. 
How do I know I'm chosen by God? Because he bled and died for you. While you were still a sinner, he died for you. That, that's what it means to be the elect of God. He chose you. Holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Come on, do you guys want to be those kind of people? Anybody not want to be kind? Everybody. Anybody want to have, like, patience? Yeah, seriously. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against one another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body. And be thankful. 